You ever met somebody, uh, and, you know, they're, they're just not enthusiastic when you ask them if they want to do something with you? You know what I'm talking about? You know, you say, hey, you, you want to get together and do something? They're like, sure. You're like, hey, hey, let's, let's grab some dinner. Whatever. Let, let's, let's watch a movie together. Okay. Now, I think there's actually a name for people like that. They're called uh, teenagers. <laughs> now, beyond just teenagers, there's other people that just sort of do that all the time, right? There's just no enthusiasm about what it is that you're asking them to do. And I think that the mistake that so many people make is they think the exact same thing of God. That when I ask God to do something for me, that even if God answers my prayers, his basic attitude is, sure, whatever, okay, do what you want. But hopefully what you've learned throughout this series of the four prayers that God always answers is that there are some things that God is emphatically saying, yes, I want this for you. I'm so excited that you should have this in your life. So back in week one, we talked about wisdom. That when you pray and you say, God, give me wisdom, God's going, yes, I want that for you. I will answer that prayer. Week two, we looked at temptation. That when you're faced with temptation and you say, God, I, I don't want to be led into this temptation. Please provide a way out from this temptation. God's going, I want that more for you than you even want it for yourself. So yes, I'm going to answer that for you. And last week we talked about that when you say, God, I, I want to be a part of building your kingdom. I want to help lead as many people in a relationship as possible with you. God's going, not only am I going to answer that for you, but I'm actually going to be there with you each and every step of the way. I'm actually going to give you the words that you should need to say to these people. Yes, 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 I'm going to answer that for you. Now, as we wrap up the series, I want to give you one final thing that God, when you pray this, he's going to say yes, yes, a million times, yes, to this particular prayer. If you got a Bible here today, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 is where we're going to hang out. Welcome to you that are watching online with us. There's a little button that's popping up in the chat right now, and that'll take you to our talk notes, and that'll give you all the scriptures and everything that we're going to be talking about today. For those of you here live in the room with us, welcome to you as well. And if you would, just go ahead and uh, get out your smartphone, and you can go to exponential.church, and you can get all the notes there as well, all the fill in the blanks and the various scriptures we're going to be looking at here today. Now, as I give you a little bit of a, a context of what it is that we're going to be looking at here, in Luke chapter 11, we actually talked about this back in week one of the series, Jesus is actually, um, he, he's with his disciples and he's saying to them, look, you know, what, what do you want me to teach you? And out of everything that they could have been taught, what did the disciples decide that they want Jesus to teach them? Remember? What was it? Yeah, how do we pray? Teach us how to pray. They had seen miracles. They had heard him speak and do all kinds of great things. But they say, please, teach us how to pray. And the, the very final thing then that, that Jesus does here is he he teaches them this, this model of prayer. We call it what? what? What's the model of prayer? What, what do we call that? There online, what, what do we call this? You can type it in there. What do we call it? The model that Jesus gave us. We call it the Lord's what? The Lord's Prayer. Now, I've taught you this before, that 
the Lord's Prayer was not actually a prayer to be prayed. It's actually a model for prayer. That's not wrong if you pray it, but that's not why Jesus gave it so that we could say, Our Father who art in heaven. That, that's not what he intended. It's a model for prayer. The mistake I think that so many people make, though, is we stop with the part that we're familiar with. But remember, they're saying, Jesus, please teach us how to pray. Teach us how to do this thing that we've seen you do so many times. Please teach us how to pray. And there's more to it than just that model. There's more to the scripture there. And so we stop too soon. And so let's look at the rest of what Jesus has to say. In Luke chapter 11, verses 9 to 10, Jesus says this. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. What Jesus is saying here is you need to be persistent in your prayer. You need to keep on asking. You need to keep on seeking. You need to keep on knocking until God answers that prayer for you. Again, as long as it's within his will and it's good for you, it's healthy for you, it's wise for you, and it fits into the bigger plan of his family, he is going to answer that prayer. You just keep on asking, seeking, and knocking. And then Jesus continues on. He asks the question, verses 11 to 12. He says, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? He says, of course not. Now, another sort of less known translation of Scripture puts it this way. It says, if your son asks you for a football team, would you give them the Cowboys? No, no. Now, many of you thought I was going to make a Penn State joke there, but that's not something you give to your child. That's demon possession. So, uh, you know, let's just be clear about that. Jesus continues on, and this is for real, the next part here. Verse 13. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Today, as we wrap up this series, the four prayers that God always answers, I want to talk to you about asking for more and more and more of God's Spirit to work in you and through you. That's a prayer that God will always answer. Now, I know some of you right away, you're going, Holy Spirit, you know, I'm not so sure what to make of the Holy Spirit. Because some of you, you, you grew up in a church or a tradition where the Holy Spirit just wasn't talked about. You had heard about the Trinity, but you thought that the Trinity was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. And so you, you just didn't really know anything about the, the Spirit. Others of you, maybe you grew up in a tradition that was more Pentecostal. It had a, a charismatic feel to it and a flavor to it. And to you, the, the Holy Spirit was like your crazy uncle that you're not quite sure when he's going to show up. And when he does show up, sometimes he does some like really cool, fun stuff. But then there's other times he does like this weird, scary stuff. You're like, oh, I don't know if I want to have anything to do with any of that. And so what I want to do today is just sort of give you some, uh, uh, some facts about the Holy Spirit. Clear up a couple misconceptions that people have about the Spirit. And hopefully this is going to convince you then to pray more and more and more for the Spirit's work in and through your life. So the first thing you need to know is this, that the Holy Spirit is God. Holy Spirit's God. Now, the, the word, again, that we use for this is called the Trinity. 
Now, the word Trinity actually isn't found in Scripture anywhere, but the concept of the Trinity is that God is three in one. He is the Father, He is the Son, He is the Holy Spirit. And our minds just can't quite grasp that. But God is three, but yet He is one. Father, Son, and the Spirit. And the Spirit was there with God the Father and God the Son at the creation, helping to create everything that is known to mankind. When God created the heavens and the earth, there was the Holy Spirit helping in that creation process. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit was with Jesus on the earth here from the moment of Jesus' conception all the way up through his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, then his ascension back to heaven. The Holy Spirit was there for every single step of it. The Holy Spirit was there on the day of Pentecost when the church got birthed. And the Holy Spirit is here in our presence right here and right now. The Holy Spirit is God. And in the same way you pray to the Father, the same way that you pray to the Son, you can pray to the Holy Spirit. And we can ask that, Spirit, I need more of your presence in my life. I need more of you. I need your power working in me and, and through me. And so what we're going to do here today is we're going to try to get rid of, because uh, again, some of you have ignorance, you just don't know about the Spirit or you're in fear of the Spirit. I want to give you these facts about the Spirit so that hopefully the Spirit will work more and more through you and you'll be prompted to pray for the Spirit more and more in your life as well. So the Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 15, verse 16. I am a special, special messenger from Christ Jesus to you Gentiles, Gentiles being non-Jewish people. I bring you the good news so that I might present you as an acceptable offering to God made holy by the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, look, I want to present you to God as an acceptable offering, but you need to be made holy through the Holy Spirit. Now the question is, what does that word holy even mean? What does it mean to be holy? I put it on your notes this way. Holy means to be set apart for God's plans and God's purposes. That you get to the place in your life that you go, you know what? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, it is not about me anymore. This life isn't about me and what I want and what I can get and what I can do. No, from now on, my attitude is going to be this, that God, I'm going to go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. I'll say whatever it is you want me to say. I'll give whatever it is you want me to give. I'll serve whoever it is you want me to serve. Why? Because it's not about me. The old me died. When I became a Christian, the old me died and the new me is a slave to you. I am in debt to you. I'm giving my body to you. So whatever it is that you would want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. Whatever it is you want me to say, that's what I'm going to say or give or serve or whatever. That's who I now am. I am a new creation. I'm a new creature. The old me has died and there's a new me that has come alive. And so what Paul's writing here is that the Holy Spirit's role is to help that to become a reality in your life. To keep that old you dead and to help change you into a brand new person where it's all about Jesus and becoming like him. Now that whole process of becoming more and more holy, it's a big theological word called sanctification. And so the Holy Spirit's role is to sanctify you to present you to God the Father at the day of your death as someone who is holy, who is right, who is pure, who is perfect, 
Now, will you ever become perfect this side of heaven? No, you won't. But that's the goal, that each and every day you should wake up and say, how can I look more like Jesus today than I did yesterday? And the next day, you repeat the process all over again. And what you're doing is you're praying, Holy Spirit, I can't do this on my own because I still have those temptations in my life. I still have all those, those things that, man, I'd really like to do this, but I know that to become holy, i got to do things your way. So Holy Spirit, lead me and guide me and direct me into the ways that you would have for me to go. Give my life meaning, give my life purpose, and give me the power to live out what it is that God would have for me. So that's the, the first thing. What is the Holy Spirit doing in your life? Number one there on your outline is the Holy Spirit sanctifies me. Another way to, to think about this is to make you complete, to make you whole. So holy, H-O-L-Y, is when you are W-H-O-L-E. Because you see, what, what sin has done is it's created holes in you, right? There are, there are gaps. There are bumps. There are things in you that are not of God. So what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit comes in and helps to fill in those holes to make you now whole. W-H-O-L-E. Is this making sense? Now, just in case it doesn't, how many of you are enjoying, I, I can hear it's raining out, so we don't like you know, necessarily the, the rain, but how many of you have been enjoying the warmer weather the last couple of days? Hasn't that been nice? It reminds us that spring is right around the corner. Actually, I guess we are in spring now, right? It's officially spring. So spring is here, but guess what else is here in the springtime? It is now officially pothole season. The spring is when more and more potholes begin to appear on our roads. Did you know that Pennsylvania roads are ranked the fourth worst in the entire country? And this is not a new problem either. I can remember as a little kid, my parents, we would go up to New York to visit relatives every summer. And on the way back home, I'd be in the back seat. You know, I'm sitting there in the back seat. I'm reading my book or my magazine or, you know, playing a little video game of some sort. And we're coming down Interstate 81. Remember, I grew up in Maryland. We're coming down Interstate 81. I'm sitting there reading this stuff. And I knew, without even looking up, the very moment we went from Pennsylvania into Maryland. That's how obvious the road difference was. So Pennsylvania is notorious, notorious for bad roads. Did you know that last year in the state of Pennsylvania, we spent $63 million on pothole repair? And I'm not talking about any damage then that was done to cars because of potholes. I'm talking just filling in the potholes cost us $63 million in taxpayer dollars. Now, how is a pothole formed? Well, look at the screen here. A pothole is formed when basically water seeps down into the cracks of the pavement, the asphalt. And then in the wintertime, that water then freezes. Now, what happens when water freezes? It does what? It, it, expands. And so what that does is it pushes the asphalt up. But then the spring rolls around and underneath it gets warmer. All that water or all that ice melts. The water goes away. Now you got an air pocket there. And now what happens? A car comes over the top of this bubble, pushes it down into the air pocket. Now you got a big old divot in the road. You got a hole. Now what happens to the next car that comes through? It ruins their alignment. 
because you keep hitting these potholes. $63 million last year we spent fixing potholes. Isn't it true that you and I have some potholes in our lives? Aren't there some things that just simply shouldn't be there? And what are we doing all the time? We're going, man, I'm just I'm trying to fill these in. And with God's grace and God's mercy, God's love, we fill in those potholes, you know, a little spiritual asphalt, so to speak. We fix things up. And the Spirit helps you in that process. But you know what else the Spirit does? The Spirit wants to get to the thing beneath the thing. Because it's not about just cleaning yourself up from the outside. Getting rid of the things that everybody else sees as a problem in your life that are, that are potholes that people are, oh, you should get that fixed. No, the Spirit wants to get to the root of the problem. And so what happens is oftentimes when people are out and as road construction people and they're, they're doing projects and they're like looking at these potholes, they start to examine it and they realize, oh, wait a second. This pothole wasn't formed because of inclement weather. This pothole was formed because there's like an underground pipe that has burst or a sewer line that's gone bad. And if we don't take care of this, this is going to create some major, major problems. Because if you don't take care of a pothole, it can become a sinkhole. Now take a look at some of these pictures. These are all pictures that happen right here in the state of Pennsylvania. Two cars and buses and all kinds of things. If left unchecked, potholes become sinkholes. And it causes very major damage. Major damage. And the same is true for our lives. You go, oh, you know what? It's just a little anger problem. It's not a big deal. But an anger problem left unchecked goes from being a pothole to a sinkhole. And you will hurt people in ways that you didn't even think that you had it in you. You go, oh, it's just a little lust. It's just a little pride. It's just a little greed. It's just a little envy, rage, jealousy, whatever. It's not really going to hurt anybody. But left unchecked, that little pothole will become a sinkhole and it's going to do major, major damage. And so what the Holy Spirit's role is, is to come in to, to say, let's look at the thing beneath the thing. That this isn't just a pothole. There is deeper damage underneath the ground. We have got to take care of that. There's something deep within you that needs to change and it needs to change right now. And the Holy Spirit doesn't just convict you of that, but the Holy Spirit then helps you with that. Helps you to make those repairs, to make those changes, to get to the root of your sin. And to become the person that God would have you to be. A person that is holy, that looks more and more and more like Jesus every single day. So the first thing that the Spirit does is the Spirit sanctifies you. But I just mentioned, it doesn't stop just there. It's not just about convicting you so you feel bad and, oh, I can't do anything about it. The next thing the Holy Spirit does for you is this. Number two on your outline, the Holy Spirit empowers me. The Holy Spirit empowers me. You know, when Lisa and I first met, we were actually working in, a, um, it's the Valley Mall in Hagerstown, Maryland. We were working in two different stores that were right next to each other. That's how we, how we ended up meeting each other. And the mall would close at 9 p.m. each and every night. And at the time... I was driving a Chrysler LeBaron. Now, take a look at this beast here. I mean, it, it just, 
It was my parents' old car. They had gotten it, you know, sort of new, you know, many, many years before that. And it was a good car, a reliable car. And then when they decided to get something new and I turned 16, I bought the Chrysler LeBaron from them. Not a chick magnet at all. But it got me where I needed to go most of the time. You see, the LeBaron was getting old enough at that point that I knew I was up to speed on the interstate when it would start to shake. You know what I'm saying? You got up to, I guess at the time it was 55 on 81 down there. So you get up to 55 in the old LeBaron, it would start to shake. And I knew, okay, I'm doing the speed limit now. And, you know, it had some other problems, some engine problems occasionally. It would have some battery problems occasionally. And so sometimes it would leave me stranded. Well, one particular night, it was 9 o'clock. We had all gotten off work and we're leaving. I get in the LeBaron, try to start it up. One start. So real quick, I saw Lisa and I said to her, hey, would you mind giving me a ride home? Because I knew that she lived not too far from me. And I had an ulterior motive because I had a major crush on her. And so I was like, you know, this would be a chance to spend some time with this girl that I really like. And she said, yes, I'll take you home. But she says, here. And she tosses me the keys to her car. She says, you drive. Lisa was driving a brand new Mazda RX-7. Take a look at this. And so I get in the car, you know, and I've never been in a car like this before. And I'm so nervous because I'm with this girl and she's hot, you know, and I'm like, oh, man. And so I'm, I'm like sitting there and doesn't take long when you leave the Valley Mall to get on Interstate 81. So I'm like talking to her, you know. The only shaking that's going on is me, right, because I'm nervous. And anyway, I'm, I'm talking to her, and, and I just keep accelerating and talking to her and accelerating and talking to her. I'm waiting for the shake to happen, right? You know that you're up to speed. Keep accelerating, and I'm talking to her. Keep accelerating, I'm talking to her. No shake, so I must be okay. Keep accelerating, I'm talking to her. I look down, I'm over 100. This car had power that I never experienced before. I told Jim this story the other night, and he said, now the only shaking going on was her, going, who's this lunatic that I'm like to drive my car? Here's my point. Many of you are living a LeBaron life when God wants you to live the RX-7 life. He has given you power that you don't even know that you have that you've never experienced. But yet you're content with what you've got. You're content to just keep doing life the way that you've been doing it. And God says, here, let me toss you the keys of the Holy Spirit. Take this baby out for a test drive. And see how much better life is. How much more power you have. How much smoother life is going to be for you. The Holy Spirit empowers us to do things beyond our wildest comprehension, beyond what our minds could even conceive. Jesus says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Let me read that again. The Holy, or, uh, you will receive what? What does he say? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Too many of you, you're trying to live life under your own power. You're like, man, this Chrysler the Baron is sweet. No, it's not. 
God wants to give you the keys to the RX-7. He wants to give you His Holy Spirit. He wants to give you His power. A power that can change not only your own life, but then you'll get the power to help change the lives of those that are around you as well. You see, getting His power isn't just about you. Remember that the goal is to become holy, to become like Jesus. Did Jesus use all of His power for His own good or for the good of those around Him? What was it? It was for the people around Him. And so if you're going to become more like Jesus and you have His power in you, guess what you're going to use that power for? For the good of those around you. To serve people. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. At the very moment of your salvation, the very moment you prayed and you asked Jesus, come into my life, forgive me, be the leader of my life, cleanse me from all of my unholiness. At that very moment, God sent His Spirit to live inside of you, and the Spirit gave you a spiritual gift. Now, depending on what list you look at, there's anywhere from like 20 to 30 different spiritual gifts. Some people combine like certain gifts together. But there's anywhere from 20 to 30 different gifts. Nobody gets all of the gifts, but everybody gets one of the gifts at least. Some of you may have more. So like for me, my my three primary spiritual gifts are leadership, evangelism, and teaching. God has supernaturally given me Yes, even beyond natural, because I had a little bit of leadership talent. I had a little bit of teaching talent. But once I became a Christian, God just put those things on steroids. Not because of Gilbert, but because his Holy Spirit living inside of me. And you have a spiritual gift of some sort. And God wants you to use that gift in order to serve and help other people. Now, one of Paul's followers was a guy by the name of Timothy. He was a, a disciple. Paul was discipling Timothy. In fact, Paul was discipling Timothy to take over for Paul once Paul was gone. Timothy thought, man, not not me. I, I can't do this. I can't be like you, Paul. There's no way. But Paul, he, he speaks into Timothy, Timothy's life and he reminds him of who it is that you are, Timothy. That it's God's Spirit working in you. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Paul says to Timothy, For the Spirit of God gave us, or, or for the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. For the Spirit of God does not make us timid. He says, You are not timid, Timothy. You are dynamic. Timothy. You are powerful, Timothy. Not because of Timothy, but because of God's Spirit living inside of you. Now that word power there, we a lot of times think of, okay, you know, I'm going to get power. We think of like using power to like lord it over people and control people. But that's not what we as followers of Jesus are supposed to do. Again, Jesus didn't use his power to control people. Jesus used his power to serve people. The actual Greek word there that we translate as power is the same word that we get dynamite from. And so the power we have is is to be this dynamic power, a power that can change 
instances and circumstances and situations that we come into. Not a destructive power, but a power that is used for good. And so again, he keeps telling Timothy over and over and over, you are powerful, Timothy. You are dynamic, Timothy. And then a couple verses later, he reminds Timothy, he says, now you need to be strong in the gift that you've been given. You need to be strong in this gift. And I believe what Timothy, or, uh, Paul was doing there was he was actually reminding Timothy of something that had been sort of a, a, a mantra, a war cry for the nation of Israel for many, many years. You see, 1,400 years before the time of Paul and Timothy, Moses had led the, the, the people of Israel out of, of slavery in Egypt. They're out in the desert, and they're eventually going to go into the promised land and form the whole nation of Israel then. But if you remember, Moses was disobedient to God out there in the desert, and God said, look, you're not going to be able to go into the promised land. I'm going to wait until the next generation. So once you die, Moses, then I'll take the people in. Now, the guy that was going to lead them in that succeeded then Moses was a guy by the name of Joshua. And so Moses has died. All that previous generation had died. It's time to go into the promised land. And God says to Joshua three different times in four verses, he says, be strong and courageous. And he says, be strong and very courageous. And then he says, be very strong and very courageous. Now in Hebrew, that phrase is rock shazak. Rock shazak. Be strong. Be courageous. Rock shazak. Now, I believe that what happened was sort of what happens with modern-day sports teams. You ever seen what sports teams do anymore before a game gets started? All the team gets together in a circle, and there's sort of one guy in the middle, and they all put their arms around each other, and they're all sort of going back and forth, and they start chanting. And I think that's what was happening here. They're going, rock, shizak, rock, shizak, rock, shizak, rock, shizak. And Joshua goes, let's go! And they're all like, rock, shizak! And they go charging in. They take the land. They conquer the enemy. Exponential, I want to say the same thing to you. Rock Shazak. Be strong. Be courageous in the gift that God has given you. Don't be timid any longer. God has placed you here on this earth to make a difference for Him. You're not to be living the LeBaron life anymore. You are to be living the RX-7 life. You are to be making a difference to have this dynamic power that is changing the Harrisburg community, that's changing the world, that's changing wherever it is that you're watching from right now. This isn't about you. This is about serving as many people as you can. Rock Shazak, guys. Rock Shazak, ladies. Just going and and punching a time clock and coming home and watching TV all night. That does not cut it anymore. That's not why you're here. Rock Shazak, be strong, be courageous. Go out and make a difference. Not because of your strength, but because of the gift that you've been given, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. Rock Shazak. 
Number three, the Holy Spirit guides me. You know, Jesus' disciples, they were fearful of what's going to happen once Jesus is gone and he's not here physically present with us anymore. Jesus reassures them. And he says this in John 14, 26, the Holy Spirit will come and help you because the Father will send the Spirit to take my place. The Spirit will teach you everything and will remind you of what I said while I was with you. And then in John 16, 13, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. Now, I want to do a quick experiment here. I want you to do it here in the room, and those of you that are watching at home, you just do the same thing. I'm going to count to three, and I'm going to ask you to do something. Now, here's what you need to do. Take one of your pointer fingers, sort of place it straight up in the air like this. Everybody participate. One finger up like this. I'm going to count to three, and I'm going to have you point, okay, to somewhere, all right? On the count of three, I want you to point to true north. One, two, three, point. Where's true north at? Point, go. Point, point, point. Where is it? I can't see it. You got to actually extend your arm so I can see where you're. There's bright lights. All right. There's uh, fingers going all over the place. I haven't seen this much pointing since the last presidential election. Holy cow. All right. Actually, I have a little uh, compass app here on my phone. True North is exactly this way. It's exactly behind us. So the arrow that's behind me there, it's actually pointing to True North. Now, here's the deal. You guys were just basically guessing. Online, you were probably guessing you're going to have to get an app later and try to figure out for your home or wherever you're watching from. Don't do this in the car. That's not a good idea. Don't do it in the car. But, uh, you know, find out where True North is. Most people just guess. They have no clue. Now, some of you had a little bit better of an idea. You're like, okay, the interstate, okay, and everything. Of course, in Harrisburg, even though 81's going north to south, it's actually going west to east. It's, so that's weird. So that may have thrown you off a little bit. Some of you are pointing in at least the general right direction. Some of you are a little bit closer than others. My point is this. That's how so many people live life. I think I'm going in the right direction, but I'm not sure. And some people, they get a little bit closer to that line of holiness than others do, but they're still not quite sure. And what Jesus is saying to us is the Holy Spirit's job is to point us to true north, to point us to Jesus. What does the Spirit do? The Spirit reveals Jesus to us, points us to Jesus, points us how to live a holy and sanctified life. And so the Holy Spirit is going to guide you into all truth. Our job is to listen and obey. like your GPS in your car. You've come to trust your GPS now, right? You don't go, mm, you know what, I, I think there's a better way. You know what, I, I really would prefer to, to go my own direction. Or hey, I, I know a shortcut. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, that's not our job to go, I'd rather do it my way than your way, Spirit. Or, oh, I know a shortcut to get us where we're going. No, you're supposed to just each and every day take one next step that the Holy Spirit is directing you to take. Again, it's not about you. It's about where is the Spirit guiding you? Where is the Spirit leading you? Where is He directing you 
too. And what we know from Scripture is that the Holy Spirit will always point you to what is true, what is noble, what is right, what is pure, what is admirable, what is excellent, what is praiseworthy. Spirit will never steer you wrong. So when you feel those nudges of the Holy Spirit going, ah, don't do that. Guess what? Don't do it. If you feel the Spirit saying, hey, you need to pay for the person's food, you know, behind you here in the grocery store. You don't go, oh, how would I ever pay my bills? Or if, if you know that that's the Spirit directing you to do it, do it. Because you can't outgive God. When you're obedient like that, God's going to throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you, you don't even have room enough to contain it all. No matter what the Spirit is speaking, as long as you know, again, because people go, how do I know it wasn't bad pepperoni pizza? Well, the Spirit will never ask you to do something that's contradictory to God's Word. So if you're on the interstate and you're like, man, the Spirit is telling me to like cuss that guy out. No, that wasn't the Spirit. That's the flesh. Oh, uh, well, you know, the Spirit said that it's okay for me to flirt with my coworker. Mm-mm. Didn't do that either. Oh, the Spirit said that like this one time, like drinking a little bit too much, that won't hurt. Mm-mm. That wasn't the Spirit. The Spirit will uh, lead you into all truth and will never guide you wrong. Now, as I begin to wrap up here today, I want to try to tie all this together for you. And I want to to tell you a story. When Lisa and I celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary back uh, five years ago in 2015, we decided to go to Costa Rica for two weeks. And I've shared some other stories of Costa Rica with you, but uh, I want to share with you uh, another thing that happened. And one of the things that we did is we took a hike to Arnal uh, Volcano, and you see a picture of it here, just absolutely beautiful. And this particular hike that we were on, it was just Lisa and I and the guide. And so we go out, and we're hiking, and, you know, stopping to take pictures and everything, and, you know, just fantastic. And the, the, the path that you take, it isn't like you go up to the volcano and then you come back the same way. You actually take like this big sort of loop. And I don't know if it was because it was just Lisa and I or what. The, the guide was going maybe a little slower than what he should have. Because as we're getting to sort of the end and we're on our way back, it gets dark. And we have to go through the jungle in order to get back to where our vehicle is at. And I tell you what, you want to talk about something that's freaky, being in the jungle when it's pitch dark. All of a sudden, all the noises start to happen and everything. I was like, all right, if the volcano doesn't kill us because it erupts, like some wild animal is going to get us or something. Because you hear all these things, you know, and it's like, what's that? What's that? What's that? What's that? And he's got his flashlight and he's taking us on this path, you know, through the jungle. And he's like, hey, watch out for that poisonous snake over there. You don't want to like step on that. that. That'd be really bad. And he's like, oh, watch out for that dart frog there in the tree. Don't get close to that. And all that big spider, you know, you don't want to get close to that. And again, it's like, whoa, this is like a little freaky. All of a sudden, he's like, you know, leading us on the path and stuff with his flashlight. He's like, stop. Stay here. I'm like, we're dead. 
And he goes off the path, maybe 10, 15 feet into the jungle. And he comes back. He says, take a look at this. And I want you to take a look at this butterfly that he found here. Absolutely beautiful. Notice how big that thing is, too. I mean, that is a, that's a monster. The, these things can grow up to eight inches big. Massive. And he said, you know what this is called? And I said, no, what's it called? He said, it's called an owl butterfly. Do you know why? It's like, I don't know. Why is it called an owl butterfly? And he turns it over, and this is what it looks like on the other side. See the owl? You see that? Isn't that amazing? Now, turn your head like this to the side. Do you see the snake now? Turn it the other way, you see another snake or a reptile. Isn't that cool? Amazing that God designs things like this. But I went on Google and I was like, all right, what does an owl butterfly look like when it's still a caterpillar? Here's what it looks like. And as far as caterpillars go, this is a really ugly caterpillar. And you know what caterpillars do? Caterpillars climb along on their belly all the time, and all they do is eat. In the case of the owl butterfly, banana plants. It is driven by the desire of its gut. It just eats and eats and eats and eats. Now, as humans, we have the advantage that we're not driven by our gut desires, or I guess we are driven by it, but we can override that. We can have self-control. Animals and insects, they just do what they're programmed to do. We're not that way. We, have, we can have self-control. But with this caterpillar, it just eats these banana plants all day long. Just eat and eat and eat and eat, eat. And eventually, after about a month or so, it goes, I'm stuffed. I cannot eat anymore. And it climbs up into the banana plant and it decides to take a little nap. Now we know it's not actually taking a nap, right? It's now going to form what's called a chrysalis. And here's what the owl butterfly chrysalis looks like. It looks like a dead leaf, basically. And for 30 days, it's like in a green ooze. It's just in there, sort of napping. And after the 30 days are done, that, that outer shell sort of peels away. And that little caterpillar wakes up and goes, whew, that was a long nap. I'm soaking wet, and it starts to shake itself off a little bit. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, my goodness, I've got wings. I've got wings. Oh, my. I, everybody, look. I can fly. I can fly. Look at this. I used to only be able to crawl on my belly all the time. Now I can fly. I've been changed. I'm different. And that's the story of Christianity. That you and I, we were like that, that caterpillar. We were dead in our sins. We were ugly in our sins. All we could do is sort of crawl along on our bellies, just barely getting by, just constantly going after the desires of our flesh, eat and eat and eat and eat sin after sin after sin after sin. But what the good news of Christianity is, is that we have identified with Jesus, that we've gone into that chrysalis, we've gone into that tomb, 
and we've come out a new creation. That now I can soar for Jesus. I can rock Shazak for Jesus. Here's how Paul writes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become what? Has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. For me, that happened on July the 27th, 1993. That the old Gilbert died and a new Gilbert came to life. That it wasn't going to be about feeding the desires of my flesh anymore. Now, am I perfect? No. But oh man, am I changed from where I was. Who I was. Because I said, Jesus, it's no longer about me. It's now all about you. So wherever it is you want me to go, whatever it is you want me to do, whatever it is you want me to say, I'll go and give whatever it is you want me to give. I'll serve whoever it is you want me to serve. I am dead. That Gilbert is dead. There is now a new Gilbert who can fly, who can soar, not because of Gilbert, but because of your spirit in me. And what God has allowed me to do now for these past, how many ever years? What are we coming up? 27 this year? In July, 27 years. A dynamic power to make a difference, to make changes. Not because of me, because of His Spirit's power in me. Again, I'm saying the exact same thing to you. You have been given a spiritual gift of some sort to make that type of change, have that type of power, make that type of a difference here in Harrisburg or wherever. So each and every day, you need to be praying, Spirit, sanctify me. Spirit, come in and empower me. Spirit, help me to make a difference in people's lives. Spirit, guide me. Show me where it is that you would have me to go each and every moment of each and every day. I hope today's message has helped to clear up some misconceptions about the Holy Spirit and that you're not fearing the Spirit anymore, but you're saying, that is something I want. I want that type of power because I want to make a difference in people's lives. So again, rock shazak. Now what we've done each and every week of the series so far is instead of me praying for you, since this series is called Four Prayers That God Always Answers, I want you to just pray this with me. Just repeat after me. Father, I'm asking you to have your spirit sanctify me, making me whole and holy. May the spirit empower me beyond my natural ability so I can reveal Jesus to those around me. Father, we ask this with confidence because this is a prayer you always answer. In Jesus' name, amen.